0: thank you haven 't done any haven 't done anything yet it 's bright up here. Uh, some of you will recall that this is a, uh, a notable conference uh, a number of years ago. I gave a really killer talk such that one in the audience died i haven 't been able to repeat that yet, but uh, this is the same venue new name it 's now the Gwen, and uh, hopefully better outcomes overall um, i 'm going to try to um, talk about uh, where we're heading with our newer therapies. And uh, this is going to overlap somewhat with uh, David talking about future uh, pharmacologic uh, targets. So I'll try and amend my slides uh, and my discussion points so that we um, are synergistic rather than repetitive. Uh, Let's begin with the concept that IBD is a complex disease. It's complex from a diagnostic standpoint. Uh, Jean-Fred emphasized how difficult it is, challenging it is to develop different targets for different disease states. Um, We are confronted, and everyone in this audience knows, that um, uh, there's a frequent loss of response to our current therapies. Those of us in tertiary medical centers at U of C and Northwestern and Mount Sinai and NYU and Maryland, when we see new patients, most of those patients have already been on three different biologics, and they're asking us, you know, what's next? And so uh, we are really confronted with each one of these biologics approximately, and don't hold me to the numbers, a 30 to 40% initial responses, deep, deep responses. And then 50% of patients who have placed on a biologic within the year are already off that same biologic. So uh, this is getting increasingly complex. Now, that complexity uh, is based on the complexity of inflammation. Many of you are aware of the new targeted therapies and the personalized medicine in the setting of cancer. And uh, cancer is very different than inflammation. Cancer is based on individual cell mutations and the evolution of those uh, mutations. So if you identify what that mutation is, you can target that specific mechanism uh, to inhibit it. And that's what's been going on in the, in the field of neoplasia uh, for the past decade or so. Inflammation is much more complicated. Inflammation is necessary for us to sustain life. Inflammation is what determines whether we're able to eradicate potential pathogens. So we must be adept at doing that, whether that pathogen is a gram-negative bacteria, a gram-positive bacteria, a flagellated bacterium, whether it's a virus, whether it's a protozoa, whether it's a fungi each one of these um, uh, potential pathogens elicits a different type of inflammatory response. And then, of course, in the setting of inflammatory bowel disease, either ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease, this is an immune system that has gone wild and no longer uh, is able to It's it's been able to separate pathogens. You know, in an untreated patient with IBD, they're not immunosuppressed. They respond just fine to uh, infections, yet they can't turn down this act of inflammation. And we have a number of components up there, including the immune system, our environment, which is increasingly complex as we expand into the microbiome and then have to compare the microbiome with, with individual and whether the microbiome, which in and of itself, as you understand, is complex by individual species, by communities of species, by the metabolic activity of those species in communities, how it's impacted by our diet, how it's impacted by a travel, how it's impacted by uh, hygiene. And then you assimilate the immune system. And the more than 200 genes that have been identified as being mutated in 15% of patients who have ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease, you can understand how this becomes increasingly complex. In addition, uh, the immune activity, the immuno activity, is different at different stages of the disease. Indeed, as Jean-Fred just told us and we know, our bowel is able to uh, heal and the mucosa is able to heal. The histology goes back to the normal state of chronic inflammation. Well, the mediators and the production and expression and the content of those mediators are changing in different phases of the disease. So in acute ulcer- severe ulcerative colitis, where we're now dosing patients you know, up to 10 milligrams per kilo of infliximab several days apart within the hospital as immense Uh, immense uh, numbers or immense quantities of TNF are produced, whereas later in the game, and we'll be talking about this uh, uh, regarding de-escalation, when the immune events have have begun to assimilate, we may or may not need the same quantity of downregulation to accomplish this. And this slide also just uh, emphasizes that the immune events, the immuno events, are somewhat different in different phases of the disease. In Crohn's disease, there's a tendency for cytokines to induce uh, fibrosis, and specific cytokines are engaged in that pathway. Whereas on ulcerative colitis, we don't see that same level of, of transmural disease and fibrosis. So uh, the inflammatory components are somewhat of a moving, target. So when we put these four different components together, um, the genetics, and to be truthful to date, uh, we do not have any, ins- well, we have insight, but we have no impact on genetics as far as therapeutic targets, or we don't use genetics in IBD to determine our therapeutic pathways where our oncology uh, um, colleagues are using the tumor genetics to uh, do that. As I said, the environment is increasingly complex with our uh, increasing understanding and current lack of understanding of the microbiome and the factors that impact that. The factors such as cigarette smoking that we've known for 30-plus years uh, with differential impacts on ulcerative colitis and on Crohn's disease. Um, and then the immune system, as i said is is not in a constant state, and it can become increasingly or decreasingly stimulated and activated in different sorts of pathways. So this is actually an old slide that comes from Steph Targan from probably 20 years ago uh, that emphasizes still in 2018, we're not talking about ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease in isolation. They obviously have uh, overlaps. They probably are not stable. Uh, as Bob Petris said from the Cleveland Clinic, he was a pathologist, and as everyone in the audience knows, there's nothing like an ileoanal anastomosis to bring out the Crohn's in someone in patients that we thought have had bona fide ulcerative colitis and then evolved into Crohn's disease. So uh, still in 2018, we're not talking about ulcerative colitis and Crohn's. Uh, I think we need to continue to separate the ulcerative colitis and the Crohn's diseases. Uh, So from uh, Maria Abreu, um, it starts with, in groups of people, genetics. And the younger the individual... The more important that genetics are. So in children, uh, genetics are extremely important, particularly in very early onset Crohn's disease, in disease before the age of 10, that's where you see a much greater proportion of individuals, kids, who have genetic mutations that have been identified. And actually, some of those in the severe setting have led to bone marrow transplants in kids. But for the majority of the patients that we treat, the other 85%, and it's really 99.9%, uh, genetics, as I said, have not come into therapeutic play, and yet we don't even know the complexities of genetics because genes become modified by epigenetic events that are impacted by the environment, and we're learning more and more how our gut microbiome and our diet actually affects the epigenetics uh, within the uh, gut environment and can impact on downstream signaling as well. This is impacted by our uh, colonic flora, and as I said, we we don't really understand that, and a variety of different environmental factors that contribute to these ultimate uh, diseases that we call either ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease. So there really are a summation of events. Now, over the past four years, we've had success in drug development, but that success as exciting as it is to have a new drug on board, we have to realize still has a limited impact on any specific, uh, any one of our individual patients. At the same time, and David will go through a couple examples of this as well, the drug development, despite identifying very realistic targets that should have an impact, uh, have not all been successful, and uh, there are several uh, an example I don't think David's going to talk about. He'll talk about Mongerson. Uh, but talk about interleukin-17. Many drugs that we have from uh, rheumatoid arthritis or psoriasis have great applicability in inflammatory bowel disease, TNF inhibition, interleukin-23 inhibition. Yet there are some discrepant drugs that have good impact in rheumatoid arthritis or psoriasis, such as abatacept in rheumatoid arthritis is a fine drug, but when applied to ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease, had harmful effects. Although TNF And although interleukin-23 have downstream inhibitory effects on interleukin-17, and although if you inhibit interleukin-17 by a direct or through its receptor antagonist in psoriasis, you get 90% clearance of psoriasis, yet when applied to IBD, interleukin-17 inhibition is actually harmful. And we've now learned about the impact of interleukin-17 on epithelial cell integrity. So we've seen a number of successes, but a lot of theoretically, hypothetically, important drugs have actually failed. So uh, where are we heading now uh, somewhat in the clinic? And David's going to show uh, some of the drugs in Phase two development. I'm just going to focus on mechanisms uh, for the next five minutes and, and just end with that. We've learned that interleukin-12 and interleukin-23 uh, do have an important role Potential role in the pathogenesis of IBD and other immune mediated diseases such as psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. But again, even this pathway becomes uh, increasingly complex. The uh, use of ustekinumab, which you know inhibits IL-12 and IL-23, was initially conceptualized by inhibiting interleukin 22. And as I will show you, there is a joint receptor between interleukin 22 and interleukin 23. Well, as studies in animals and in uh, humans continue to evolve, there seems to be more interest in the interleukin-23 pathway uh, compared to the interleukin-22 pathway, although both are upregulated in the setting of Crohn's disease. Uh, This is a patient, this is a a trial looking at mucosal biopsies showing the early upregulation of interleukin-12 and likewise interleukin-23 in patients with inflammatory bowel disease which justify the concept of this target. Now, there are actually uh, interleukin-12 and interleukin-23 share Some of the subunits within their receptor target, in specific, the p40 subunit is what has been targeted by ustekinumab, and that, as I've already said, and you're familiar with the approval over the past year, has led to uh, over the past ten years efficacy in psoriasis and uh, more recently in psoriatic arthritis, and. As we've seen with every other drug in other immune-mediated diseases, the dose is double or more in IBD. You can say that for the TNF inhibitors. You can say that for uh, uh, azathioprine. You can say that for methotrexate. Uh, This has been ubiquitous. You can say that as I'll tell you about the JAK inhibitors. So the dose is increased in IBD. We can conceptualize why that is. The uh, IBD is dealing with a single cell layer over a sewer, which is our our colon. Uh, There are more immunoinflammatory activity going on within the gut than there may be in the sterile joints or the relatively sterile uh, skin in that situation. But uh, recently, the interleukin-19 receptor component has been targeted by a number of different drugs that are under development into phase three um, and are approaching uh, uh, finishing some of the phase threes in both Crohn's disease and in ulcerative colitis. So ustekinumab itself already approved for uh, Crohn's disease is under development for ulcerative colitis. The phase three results are almost finished. And now there is a race on that uh, left side of the panel (coughs) to develop additional P19 or to develop P19 inhibitors that will eventually uh, inhibit interleukin-23. So we've already seen the results In uh, with ustekinumab, I will point out another ubiquitous aspect, which is our first drugs are our best potential to affect treatment. We're using them too late, and we're not monitoring adequately. But when you look at the Unity 1 results, these are patients who had prior exposure or failure to treat with TNF inhibitors compared to Unity 2, which were naive, the results are always better in the patients who have not been previously bioexposed. You can say that for any drug. TNF, first TNF is going to be better than the second TNF. Ustekinumab is going to be better after uh, conventional therapy than after TNFs. We're going to see the same thing with vitaluzumab is better as a first-line therapy than after TNF failures. The JAK inhibitors are going to be the exact same. These messages are the same. Risen- Risenkizumab is another uh, under development. and just showing you uh, the results aren't important but they are significant and we'll see as the, this uh, other P19 inhibitor uh, evolves. Lithicide trafficking has become another important pathway Uh, to inhibit in the setting of inflammatory bowel disease. We learned this from another immune disease, multiple sclerosis, where inhibition of the alpha-4 integrin, which uh, binds to a cell receptor called VCAM, was effective, is effective in multiple sclerosis, and is effective in Crohn's disease. But VCAM is a receptor that is ubiquitous in our body, including in the brain, it is an adressin. The adressins are the cell receptors on the endothelium that latch on to integrins that are cell receptors on the circulating lymphocytes or white blood cells. VCAM is everywhere. If you inhibit it, you inhibit surveillance within the brain as well as within the gut. It's effective in Crohn's disease, effective in multiple sclerosis, but you can't survey within the brain and risks the progressive multifocal leukoencephalopathy due to the JC virus expanding within the brain. We now have a number of targets within the gut. You've learned over the past four years or so about vitaluzumab and its impact in both Crohn's disease and in ulcerative colitis. And there are other ways to target the receptor within the gut that is known as the addressin is known as MADCAM, the mucosal addressin. The interaction with MADCAM is based on interaction with an alpha-4-beta-7 component integrin on white blood cells. So that offers the potential to block alpha-4-beta-7, which is vitaluzumab, to block beta-7 alone, which is etraluzumab, or even to block the addressin, which is MADCAM. And studies with all of these monoclonal antibodies targeting the specific receptors are currently underway. Um, There's one other way Uh, to target lymphocyte trafficking. And I'm going to show you that slide in a moment. But these drugs that we've just talked about, the integrins, anti-integrins or anti-addressins, trap white blood cells within the bloodstream. In contrast, you can also trap white blood cells in the lymph nodes by targeting the sphingosine 1-phosphate pathway there is a gradient of sphingosine 1-phosphate, and I'll let David tell you about this a little bit later, in lymph nodes, if you impair that gradient, the lymphocytes can't traffic out and get stuck in the lymph nodes. And there are trials now with Ozanamod and several other oral agents that are now trapping these uh, lymphocytes within the bloodstream. And then the last thing I'm going to talk about is the uh, Janus kinase pathway. Because most recently... Uh, tofacitinib has been approved for the treatment of ulcerative colitis. And I think that we've learned several things that I've already messaged you about that. Tofacitinib is an oral Janus kinase inhibitor. Janus kinases stimulate the downstream signaling within cells, to inhibit the intracellular signaling with the release of a variety of different inflammatory cytokines. The messages that I've already told you, which is the dose is higher in IBD, applies. So when tofacitinib is used in rheumatoid arthritis or psoriasis, the dose is five milligrams orally twice daily. In IBD, in ulcerative colitis, the effective dose has been 10 milligrams twice daily. So that's point number one, higher doses. Point number two, results are always better in bio-naive patients. So within the studies of tofacitinib, the patients, whether or not they were exposed to to prior biologics, improved. But the absolute response rates are higher in that situation. So I'm just going to skip now to my last slide, if I can actually do that. Um, When you inhibit cytokines, There is a risk, and I'll just mention that the major risk of tofacitinib is going to be infections, and in particular, herpes zoster has stuck out. We'll talk about that perhaps a little bit later. So um, I just want to end with we now have a, a variety of different agents. And one of the questions always asked is, you know, how do you position one over the other? And that's very challenging. Our AGA pathways don't discriminate. They don't discriminate between TNF and actually between steroids and immunosuppressives, TNFs with or without immunosuppressives, anti-integrins with or without immunosuppressives, ustekinumab with or without immunosuppressives, or um, tofacitinib alone. There's no discrimination, because in 2018, we do not have head-to-head studies. There are no comparative effectiveness studies. So how do we select for our individual patients? Well, that's going to be your topics of discussion this afternoon um, in your case discussions. But these are just a number of the considerations that we need to make in, as as Jean-Fred has already emphasized, the shared decision-making we're sitting down with our patients, which is going to be based on basically how sick they are, how fast they need a rapid response, versus how uh, uh, their safety and their risk aversion or not to long-term safety issues, and then all of these different factors in between. So I'm two minutes over time. I apologize, Uh, but I hope I've given you some perspective of where we're heading in the, the near future landscape. Thank you.